Hey there, I'm Vicki Howell, and this is episode 9 of Craftish. This episode is sponsored by Kitterly, carefully curated knitting and crochet kits to make anything. They're making crafting easier by doing the hard work that goes into finding the right supplies for the right project. So you can just pick up and start stitching. And they have loads of kits from great designers and yarn companies, including some really great crochet versions. My favorites are the one hank scarf called Membrio, worked in Manos del Uruguay Fino, and the super nostalgic Granny Stripe Wherever Wrap, worked in UU Woolly Worsted. You can go to kitterly.com for details on these kits, my lunchtime knit kits, and so much more. Today I'm chatting with Tamara Kelly, the founder of the wildly popular crochet blog, Moogly. Tamara is a curator, designer, writer, and instructor, and she, like me, juggles the parenting of three kids with running a craft-based business and handling her own social media. So during our time together, we talked about all of that, along with her journey from mommy blogger to crochet writer, her approach to design, and so much more. Let's meet her now. Thank you so much for being on Craftish. Thank you so much for having me, Vicki. It's an honor. I uh, I wanted to start. I like to start where I where I find um, parallels. Well, you and I have a lot of parallels, but um, but at our core, it's family. I notice that you, like me, have two boys and a girl. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to just start there and talk about being a working mom, but raising both sons and daughters, and how, if at all encouraging creativity with them, does it differ based on gender or based on their individual personality? Um, I think in my experience, it's depended more on the individual. Um, if anything, I'd say all my kids are creative, but it's the boys who've had more of an interest in what I do. Um, my daughter is an excellent artist um, with paint and pen and paper, uh, but it's the boys who have picked up on um, finger crocheting and wanting to be more playing with the yarn side of things. So um, personally, I believe, you know, it doesn't matter, male, female, whatever, um, you know, creativity knows no bounds. It shouldn't be just one, you know, relegated to one sex, certainly. So I've always encouraged them to be creative. Um, but it's definitely, it has been interesting seeing just what direction each kid has chosen. And I found that, um I don't know if it matters, you know, boy or girl, they're going to like what they're going to like, but maybe that's just my kids. No, I honestly don't. I honestly don't know that it matters either, but I like to talk to other parents about this because it's been really fascinating. I think it's sort of where we are in society too. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people have said that they have to approach things differently with one gender or another. Some people, you know, like you have said, no, it doesn't matter at all. Um, I know for, my boys used when they were little or they used my knitting needles as swords. And that's really as much interest as I got from them. But you know what? My daughter, she's, she's only like has the courtesy interest in what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no, that's not fair. Not what I do, but actually like the actual craft. She's funny. She's more interested in sort of the creative direction portion of it. Okay. Like she'll stick a post-it on my computer with a, like a drawn pictures of socks and tell me to design it. <laughs> so I kind of have to honor that too. Yeah, um, I do get that from all of them. It's true. Um, I think all of them are interested in what can I make for them? So now will they actually wear it if you make it? Um, yes, usually it depends if it's something they requested. Yes. If it's something I just want them to model, there's usually bribery involved. So mm, bribery, I think is at the 
at the forefront of every blogger with children. <laughs> I think so. Yes. <laughs> My children all they all have weird aversions to yarn, which is unfortunate for me. Mm, <laughs> like like some of them are like it's hot lava touching their skin, you know. Mm. Yeah, I do have I do have kids who aren't big fans of wool, I'll admit, you know, but you know, there's so so much such great wool out there, but they hear there's wool in it and they just, yeah. you know, yeah. they have that kid reaction. But I think we all remember from having from our own childhood when wool wasn't quite so nice. Yeah, but I mean, the acrylic wasn't that nice when we were little either. True, it was pretty true. rough as well. You know, it's really <laughs> evolved. Yeah, it has. You started as a mommy blogger. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to me about so when you're when you're talking about a business, mm-hmm. mommy bloggers can get a much larger audience sometimes Mm -hmm. they can get more sponsors because it's a wider audience yeah um there's a huge benefit it's also really oversaturated market now Mm -hmm. did any of that play into your decision to evolve from mommy blogger to running a crochet and knitting business that also has a blog as a component um walk me through what that evolution was like for you well for me i think it was probably less of a business decision and more of a following my heart decision. Um, I love my kids. Obviously they're, you know, central to my life and the way I live it, but mommy blogging just didn't come as naturally to me. Um, I mean, you know, I can talk about my kids all day, but making it interesting for a complete stranger is, you know, a whole different ball game really. And, uh, so I just, I found mommy blogging actually really difficult were you talking about, were you just talking about your kids? Were you talking about the struggles of motherhood? Were you talking about other aspects of being about, a woman? I was trying to be funny. You know, I was trying to like tell funny stories, funny things my kids did. Um, just kind of share stories. And then I started sharing the crafts that we were doing um, or that I was doing with yarn. And that was getting a lot more attention. So I guess to some extent that was a business decision. Yeah. I discovered that was a lot easier for me to talk about, number one. And number two... Um, you know, it just got more attention. People were coming to see that, not coming to read about my kids, except for my own family, which, you know, they heard about it anyway. So. Right. So what did the transition look like? Did Was it over like a long period of time or was it, um, were there a virtual like shutting of the doors relaunch? Uh, a little bit of both. It was, um, I kind of just abandoned it, um, abandoned the whole mommy blogging thing, especially after I had two more kids and I just got really busy with the kids themselves. Um but I had a couple of crochet patterns on there and I was going back and forth on what to do when the youngest was old enough to go to preschool and, you know, it was time to kind of find a job or something to bring in some income. And I looked at the blog and I thought, you know, what if I relaunch this just for crochet? So thinking, you know, this is kind of a low risk investment and we'll see how it goes. I shuttered the blog to take off all the mommy content, just leave the crochet content and funny enough, that exact week, the one week I had pulled it down, I got a message on Ravelry saying somebody was going to, some group was going to do a crochet along with one of the, I think, two crochet patterns I had on the entire blog. Yeah. And, and what had happened? Oh, my gosh. What happened to your blog? It's down. We were going to do this crochet along. I was like, all right, that's a sign. That's an affirmation. <laughs> that had to yeah. feel validating. <laughs> and it was just a washcloth. I mean, it was a very simple, you know, basket weave washcloth. Not what is it fancy. about washcloths? Can you tell me the story about that? I have no idea, but, you know, I think it's the instant gratification of it, really. And you don't have to worry about size. Yeah. You know, it's the the perfect mindless, take it, throw it in a bag and go, no stress. 
project, I think. So it definitely anyways, doesn't so, yeah. have the benefit of the fiber, like the feel of the fibers, you know, because yeah. you want it to be a sturdy cotton if you're going to actually use it. Right, right. Um, well, there's so many fun cottons out there now, too. That's also another evolution of fiber. Yeah, um, yeah. There's some lovely, lovely projects out there or yarns out there. So you started crocheting right around after you had one of your children, correct? Right, the first one, yep. Okay. Um, were you creative before that? Did you have another outlet? Um, yeah, it was always kind of just doing random crafts. Um, I was, um, I sewed a lot. I sewed a lot of the clothes for my daughter um, after she was born. Uh, my mom is a seamstress. My sister is actually a professional costume designer. So I come more from that background. Mm -hmm. But um, I'd always really loved yarn. And all I need, knew how to do when I was a kid was um, that finger knitting thing where you get the long tubes. Yeah. Um, you know, the four fingers and the very, very big in the 80s. I actually uh, just wrote a book about it. Came out yeah. last year. Yep. <laughs> so I did a lot of those. Um, wow, so, so much yarn went into those when I was a kid. And yeah. um, but I always wanted to learn how to either knit or crochet. I didn't care. I wanted to do something, one of those. But I didn't know anybody who did. So your mom um, didn't do either? No. No, none of my family did. I had a great-grandmother who embroidered. Yeah. But um, I'd never met, you know, I, I think I met her when I was an infant. So, um, no, I didn't have anybody to teach me. So I had actually tried to teach myself um, in my early 20s when I tried to quit smoking. I thought I will teach myself to crochet. That'll keep my hands busy. Um, did manage to quit smoking, did not manage to teach myself to learn how to crochet. <laughs> I still think that's a win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it all worked out, but yeah. it wasn't until later that, uh, I, once I had someone to show me in person, those first, you know, the chaining and that single crochet, then I was like, ah, okay, now I get it. But yeah, I, I needed someone in person to get myself started, so. Do you think about that when you're, when you're creating your own tutorials, either, you know, either in person through photos, through videos, how you needed to have someone physically there? Does that influence it all the way that you teach? Um, absolutely, yeah. I try to make sure that, you know, the camera is really close to my hands um, and at an angle I would want to see it happening. Um, when I tried to teach myself, you know, it was back before YouTube. Um, I was barely on the internet. Um, most people weren't, you know, it was all AOL dial-up stuff. So um, the videos weren't available. Um, so I don't know, you know, maybe I would have been able to learn those videos, but of course I was trying to learn from a simple pamphlet, you know, that I picked yeah. up at the craft store. That didn't work out very well. But yeah, when I make the videos, I try to show them in the way I would show someone in person. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder the same thing for me, if there had been video, if that would have been, cause I, part of it though, my, my preferred method of teaching is, is online because I just, mm. I love, I love the reach that it can have. I love that everybody gets the exact same advantage. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, one of the things when I was learning, I learned to crochet from my mom when I was eight, but I didn't learn to knit until I was, you know, pregnant with my second son. And, and mm. when I learned, I learned in a actual knitting shop. And, and one of the big sort of draws for me was the community aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You've been able to create a community for yourself, a pr pretty impressive community. Oh, thank you. A very impressive community um, online. We talk a little bit about, about that process, about how, how that following started, how you continue to nurture um, you know, people via social media. Well, I think doing it online came really naturally for me. I mean, I'm out in the middle of Iowa. It's 
there's not, you know, a big social center here anyway. But actually, when I got pregnant with my first child and I was looking for other parents, um, I was relatively young, 25. I didn't know a lot of other people with babies. Um, so it was actually online that I reached out and found a community of moms. Yeah. Um, so for me, looking online for a community like that, when it's not something readily available locally, has always come really naturally. Um, now, locally, we have a lovely yarn shop, and that's fantastic. But, you know, back then, whole different ballgame. And... Um, so I did the, the exact things, same thing, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was 26 when I had my first baby, yeah, and, and yeah. I was looking for that community too. So I ended up just starting my own group. But I totally oh, nice. feel you there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, being online has always been kind of natural. Um, I like being online because I can be, I guess, my most outgoing self. Um, I'm one of those people like in person, I can be you know pretty quiet um, and reserved, but online, um, for whatever reason, that fear is just gone. And um, I know I can put my best foot forward and really think about what I'm going to say, which, of course, helps. But I think the way I keep things going um, is I just I always keep in mind what would I want to see if I were a reader? Yeah. Um, It's not I mean, yes, I share my passions and I think that's important. Um, People ask me, you know, oh, I want to start a blog about X, Y, Z. You know, what's the key? And I, I always say you have to really be excited about what you're writing about. Um, If you're not excited about the topic, that's going to come through and people aren't going to go to you to learn about it um, or to read about it. Um, So I'm enthusiastic about crochet. I've been doing it for 10 years and I still love it. Um, And I think that comes through. And so um, for me, it's important to share not just what I'm loving about it, what I'm excited about it, but kind of keep my eyes and ears open and see what's going on and and share what's, you know, happening out in the greater world too. Um, share other people's projects, share what other people are doing, um, kind of, you know, and just be really responsive. I think a lot of people um, don't want to interact uh, with, you know, individuals online as much. And I think that's really important, you know. It's crucial for your business. Yeah, Yeah. it's crucial. Um, And I mean, you know, absolutely, you know, everybody gets in a mood from time to time. You know, you're not in the mood to do it, but that's the great thing about doing it online. Come back and do it when you're in the mood. (laughs) So, right. Yeah. So, so was this, so was the growth in, in your following, um, slow and steady or was there, was there a particular feature or an event that you did or something where you really saw a big boost or bump? Um, I would say probably there's this one particular blanket when I actually started crocheting, um, and blogging about it, you know, exclusively kind of leaving the mommy blog behind, I was actually selling commissioned projects. And um, there was this one blanket pattern I'd made up that was just really popular. And I must have made, you know, probably 50 of those for sale. Um, you were producing blankets to sell? Yes. Man. Baby blankets. Baby Man. blankets. <laughs> still. It's still. Yeah. Oh, that's a big time investment. Yeah, it was. And, you know, and I was getting a fair price for them, thankfully. But um, it was very time consuming. And what was interesting was then my Facebook page and my blog was more focused on what I'm making and hey, if you want to buy one, contact me, you know, kind yeah. of a workaround yeah. rather than doing Etsy type thing. And but I had crocheters start following me and asking for the patterns. Yeah. So um, I think I just kind of found that I liked designing better. Um, but what kind of took off was once I put that pattern out for that blanket, um, it got really popular. And it got featured on a couple of other little blogs. And you know, of course, Ravelry, it, you know, shot up to the front there. And I think that was really what uh, 
what started it going? Um, I want to talk to you uh, more about pattern writing in a second. But first, sure. I think that I just taught a class on Monetize Your Craft. And, and one of the questions that came up a lot, and so I think you know some listeners would like to hear, is about your pricing structure for when you're mm-hmm. producing um, in crochet because the normal formula of sort of like the materials plus the time plus the cost you know minus the profit that doesn't necessarily work with something like knitting and crochet right. because the time never evens out can you talk can you talk a little bit about how you created sort of like a fair what you consider a fair weight or a fair price uh, well, I looked at it this way. Um, a handmade good, yes, you can always go to Walmart, Target, and get a blanket for $20. Um, but a handmade project is not only completely custom, but it has a luxury value. And so that's the market I went after, personally. Um, so, I mean, there were times when I was being contacted by, you know, architects, interior designers. Um, it's just a slightly different market than, you know, your average you know, mom, um, absolutely. When I was a new mom, I wouldn't have been able to afford one of my sure at the price I sold them. Um, and I think, you know, that's just, you know, it just depends who you're selling to. So for me, my general rule was I, um, quadrupled the cost of the yarn because Hmm. you're right. If you figure out the, um, time investment, I mean, especially the back and forth, deciding on what colors people want, you know, that sort of thing, putting together different color palettes, the time's never going to even out. Uh, so for me, I just kept it real simple. I quadrupled the cost of the yarn itself. So if you're working with a higher end clientele like that, are you also working with higher end yarns? Uh, yes, typically. Typically, yeah. They wanted, um, I mean, there was a variety, everybody, you know, and I would offer them, I'd say, you know, if you want it out of XYZ yarn, it's going to be, you know, this much. If you want it out of that yarn, then it's going to be a different amount. So yeah. I would always customize it for the consumer. And I think for me, that was that was part of the value they were getting. I would put together a variety of color palettes and their chosen colors and a couple different, you know, yarn selections. So are you still doing any commissions? I am not. No. Um, once in a while I'll do a couple little like uh, simple things for a friend who has a soap shop. I will make soap sacks for her to sell mm-hmm. along with her soap, but uh, that's more of, you know, a, a friend type project rather than a income type project. So, right. I was reading on the um, the Otlight blog, they did an interview with you a while back, mm-hmm. um, that you, like me, uh, learned how to pattern write by just reading other people's patterns. Mm-hmm. Now now there's actual courses, I think Edie Ekman teaches one, um, and Yarn Standards has gotten better about helping designers, but... I think that we we have sort of like a unique industry because there isn't necessarily a straight track or an education for some of the things that you need to know. Can you talk to me a little bit about your process of learning? Well, um, interestingly enough, um, one of the other questions I get asked quite often is, why are so many of your patterns free? Why don't you sell them? And the reason I actually got into doing them for free um, is has many layers. But one of them is absolutely that because I didn't know, I couldn't figure out where did everybody go to learn how to write patterns. Um, there didn't seem to be a school, like you say, you know, there was no, you know, like course, especially at that time, where you could go to learn how to write a pattern. Um, at least not one I could find or afford to go to. Um, I certainly, you know, as a hobbyist starting out, couldn't afford to go to like the knit and crochet show or anything like that. Um, you know, three small kids and that whole thing. Um, so one of the reasons I decided to make them free was because I wasn't entirely sure I knew what I was doing. Right. Um, so for me, the process was to keep reading other patterns. Um, if I ever have a question about like, gosh, how does, how does that sort of thing get phrased? I would go look at um, 
other patterns with like a long repeat or something and say, okay, how are they phrasing this? So I really did just kind of learn by studying other people's patterns um, and listening to the feedback from the crocheters who made them and said, hey, you know, this is a little unclear or, you know, this is great and easy to read, you know, and just kind of listening to what they had to say. Um, the maddening thing is that there isn't necessarily a standard. I mean, things right. can, it's an oral tradition. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, even amongst a panel of experts, you might get three different ways to write the same thing. Oh, absolutely. So part is an art and part is technical. Yeah, I think everybody's got their own style. And um, once in a while, somebody will say, oh, I don't like the way so-and-so writes their patterns. And I'm like, you know, it doesn't mean they're doing it wrong. Yeah, it just, just means you don't like gig. their style. Yeah, so, and that's okay. Yeah. Not everybody's going to like my style. Some people do, some people don't. And, you know, that's just kind of part of the deal, I think. Well, let's talk about your style a bit. You mentioned that you have a sister who's a costume designer. Mm -hmm. Does Do any of her productions or her work influence your design or what influences your design? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, it's my influences come from all over. Um, once in a while, she'll have an idea for me. Um, of course, she's mostly, you know, in fabric. But um, thankfully, because, man, those costume designers, they work on quite the deadline. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'd say my kids absolutely influence me. They still, once in a while, will come up with different requests, like can make XYZ or I want a hat that looks like a, you know, elephant, whatever. Um, and then I try to really pay attention when I'm out in the stores, um, especially stores where I really enjoy the overall aesthetic and see, you know, what colors are they using on the new children's line or things like that. Um, and then I think for me lately, one of my biggest influences has been the yarn itself. I've really been focusing on the yarn itself and what it's sort of patterns and stitches um, and projects each individual yarn is lending itself to. Um, Do you have particular types or you don't have to say brands if you don't want to, but types <laughs> of types of yarns that have you excited or um, colors? Well, you know, I love um, a wide variety of color. I'd say that for me is number one. Um, I mean, I love the, you know, the natural softness of say an alpaca Um but at the same time, you know, like a, a merino where there's, you know, 30, 40 colors to choose from. That's always exciting, too. Um, I am being sponsored by Lion Brand Yarn in 2016. Congratulations. Um, thank you. So all the patterns you'll see on Mugley this year will be in Lion Brand Yarn. Um, and I am enjoying their variety very much. Um, they've got a gorgeous, like I say, superwash merino that has a ton of colors. And, of course, Vienna's Choice is always, you know great for you know afghans and things like that um that's what we use for the crochet along this year that we're doing a uh, block every two weeks so um for me if i can find the perfect marriage of project plus the yarn itself then that's what makes me happy yeah do you mostly are do you mostly design uh, blankets and accessories um, I'd say mostly, yeah, um, accessories and things for the home. I'm not um, huge on garments. I'll do some baby garments, um, but I haven't done a whole lot of adult garments other than like ponchos or, you yeah. know, not really fitted things. I admire them very much. And I'd like to get into those, but I think I'm still a little intimidated, to be honest. Um, just the sizing. I know, you know, particularly us women, we come in so many different shapes and yeah. sizes. Well, now Yarn Standards um, wants them sized up to 5X if it's possible. Right, right, exactly. And I'm a bigger lady, so I, you know, I approve of that, definitely. But I'm still, I'll admit, a little intimidated yeah. for the adult garments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. Um, do you have any crocheters or knitters that influence you at all? Um, you know, it's funny. I find that um, 
I actually try to actively prevent that because I think we've all been there when we've designed something and you're about to, you know, launch it to the public and show everybody. And then, oh, no, somebody made something just like it, you know, and you'd, and you'd swear you've never seen it before. But there it is. And it's, you know, just one or two steps different from yours. And what are you going to do? Um, so I definitely look around. And I see think what more I meant. Doing. I think more than style. Sorry, that question wasn't worded correctly. Oh, okay. I meant more. um inspired and admire um people whose careers you've watched or style you respect even if it's not a direct translation yeah and it doesn't have to just be a knitter or crochet or it could be any form of artist well you know there's so many and I would hate to leave somebody out (laughs) I tend to avoid this question when I can because I'm always terrified I'm going to leave somebody out and hurt somebody's feelings to be honest you and I, uh, you and I both um, have in-house tech support, so mm-hmm. let's let's take <laughs> let's take a moment to talk about our husbands. Um, okay. I think we both have husbands that shoot video for us, correct? Yes. Yep. Both of them edit. Yes. Um, my husband also lights for me. Does yours help yes. with lighting? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, what? How does that look like within your own household when you're working? with your partner in that respect is do you sort of just do it like whenever he's got time do you have it on a schedule um are you do you consider him part like a crucial part of your business paint that for me uh well he's absolutely a crucial part of the business um he's the one who encouraged me to get into video to be to begin with which has opened so many doors um and you know it's really behind all the videos that are on moogly um he is a video production person by trade that's his job during the day um so when it comes to making my videos um number one is we have to wait till the kids are at least in bed if not asleep and the dog is asleep yeah and then sneak down to the basement and uh film the video so if i ever sound tired on them it's because we're filming usually at around 11 o'clock at night yeah yeah (laughs) that struggle is real that's our we're always like between like a lunch break or a kid's at school or somebody's sleeping or um you know my dog's going crazy in the background. <laughs> um, do you, so you, let's keep talking videos because I think this is sure. really interesting. Right now, I, I just came back from South by Southwest Interactive and video is just such a crucial, crucial um, point in, in interactive. And I wanted to talk to you about YouTube because I think that everybody is is definitely trying to figure out the formula of which I'm not sure there is one. And I wondered if you would share some of your experiences or maybe something you've learned since you started making YouTube videos, or if you don't have any lessons, you know, if you have any tips for other aspiring um, craft influencers and craft instructors. Well, I would say the biggest thing about YouTube is to never take it personally. Um, I mean, obviously if someone has constructive criticism, then that's worth listening to, but there are people who go to YouTube just to be rude. Um, so whenever someone's getting into making YouTube videos, that's my first thing. I'm like, don't take anything anybody says personally. Um, if you feel like, you know, it's a valid, like I say, a valid constructive criticism, that's one thing, but there are people who go on YouTube just to make, make you unhappy and you can't let that get to you. Um, beyond that, in terms of technical advice, I would say lighting is absolutely crucial. Um, make sure things are well lit, make sure things are well centered. Um, and something I struggle with myself is slowing down. Yeah. I know once once we've got it as crocheters, we tend to, you know, just whip those stitches out. And uh, yeah, slowing down is is hard, but it's key. 
Yeah, absolutely. I find that um, I always just assume that people know what I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, and so that's been a really good lesson to just slow down. And if somebody's coming and like actually watching your video, they probably want to see what you're doing. So. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's always hard for me to remember they haven't watched all my other videos up to then. So I just assume, you know, they're on the same page. They've seen all the rest of them. It's like, oh, wait, no, this might be their first one. Right. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> Are you is is producing are you producing videos on a regular schedule? Do you promise them daily, weekly, monthly? Um, my goal right now um, is to a month. Um, there was a, I was putting them out a lot quicker when I was uh, kind of creating my stitch library, you know, single crochet, double crochet, the things yeah. most of us take for granted, but I still wanted to have in the library. At that point, those were coming out a little quicker. But now that I've got all those made, um, it's about twice a month. Um, sort of a mix of unique stitches I find, stitch patterns, and then uh, pattern support videos. Are you doing videos to support your crochet alongs as well? I'm not because um, unless it's a pattern of mine, the crochet along that we do every two weeks is, um, this is actually really fun. I found 24 other designers um, for the course of the year, and I don't know what they're making ahead of time either. I get it um, maybe on average about two weeks before they actually go public. Um, so I get a chance to make mine, just kind of help tech edit and make sure everything's ready to go. Um but for those, I so I can't make videos because they're not my patterns. So you're hosting other people's crochet yes. ones. That's yep. fantastic. I love that. Well, I think it's fun because then I get to help um, introduce people to more designers they might not have seen before. Um, I don't think there's any crocheter who only makes one designer's patterns. So it's silly not to help, you know, promote other people and say, hey, you know, we can all be part of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, I think it's really important. It's the whole rising tide thing. Yes. You know, if one of us does well, we're all going to do well. And overall, the industry is going to do well. And so it's really important for us to all sort of have each other's backs. And, and you have a large voice. So um, sharing it um, is fantastic. Well, thank you. That's that's one of my goals. <laughs> I've noticed, I, I was going through your site, and I really admired how you've broken down every aspect of your business into a business. For everything from people being able to sponsor your like social media mentions, which is brilliant by mm -hmm. the way, to, you. you know, whether or not people can produce garments that are your pattern to, um, you know, everything, every little mm -hmm. last aspect. Is that something that came to you? Do you have a, do you have a business background? Was there somebody that influenced you? Was it just some great advice that you got? Are you just faking it till you make it? I am pretty much faking it till I make it, honestly. Um, a lot of it was feedback, like the social media mentions that you mentioned. Um, that came about because, like I said, I do love sharing other people's things, and I still do that, just sharing whatever I feel like sharing. Um, but as I started sharing more things, um, I started getting requests. Mm. And it's one thing, you know, when it's one or two requests a week, but all of a sudden, you know, they were flooding in. And if I just took requests, I wouldn't have had time to share any of my own stuff. Right, right. Um, and, you know, people would probably would have unliked the Facebook page because they would have been posting too much. Uh, so I thought, you know, let's make it benefit everybody. And so I'm sharing things that I know people are serious about and have taken the time. You know, it's not just some random, you know, person who started out the way I did. Um, although I certainly share some of those, too. But uh, just to make sure, you know, to get the top quality shares on those and, um, you know, make sure that they're, too, that they're timely and kind of do something for everybody. I mean, it's a very... It's a pretty low cost. It is, but option, what you're doing, so. what you're doing shows that there's value in it. And I think that's yes. really important because um, I think creative types in general 
have a really hard time quantifying the value. And because we're still sort of in the wild west of the web, I mean, we're really only 20 20 years into it, and social media really has only been strong for five, Mm -hmm. um, I think that there's a lot of assumption based on what should and should not be done for free. And so even if it's not a lot of money, you're still giving people a second to pause and -hmm. see that there is value there. And I strongly encourage, I may actually start doing it. Sometimes I work (laughs) it in my deals, but I I encourage people to, wherever there's value, wherever it's work that you can do to either, you know, barter in a way that makes sense for your own business or charge Mm -hmm. for it. But it's important for us as an industry for us to show um, value for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's something I've always kind of been clear about, you know, this is a business for me. And um, yeah, I want to encourage other people to be serious and take it as a business too. I mean, hobbies are fun. And if you want to just uh, do it as a hobby, that's fantastic. Uh, But I think if you're going to start a business in it, you need to you know, as, let others see that there is value in that. Yeah. Well, I wanted to end with um, what What do you hope that your community, your viewers, your followers take away from the Moogly experience? Oh, gosh. Um, well, I'd say I want them to leave fire. I don't want them to leave. I don't want them to leave at all. But <laughs> I, after a visit... I want them to um, feel fired up and ready to be creative. Um, that's something like I put out, you know, a pattern a week. And those patterns, you know, have distinct instructions. But once in a while, I get somebody who will be like, well, I followed this, but I changed it. Hope you don't mind. I don't mind at all. Um, I think as crocheters, we are all inherently creative. Um, I think we love changing it up and making it our own. And that's something I always encourage. I loved seeing when people take, something on my site and use it as inspiration to be creative and make something just for them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Tamara, thank you so much for being here. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much, Vicki. I have loved chatting with you. It's been great to get to know you too. Tamara Kelly's designs, curated stitch alongs and stitcherly musings can be found on the Moogly blog or by joining the masses of her followers on Facebook. For more info, please check out this episode's show notes page at vickihowell.com slash craftish. Thanks again to our sponsor, Kitterly. I will put direct links to the kits I mentioned on the show notes page, or you can just go directly to kitterly.com to find them and so much more. Craftish is produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. You can keep up with my projects by following at Vicki Howell on social media or signing up for my email list. And you can find a link to that also through the show notes page of pretty much any episode. And this week, I have a little extra treat for you. I'm offering Craftish measuring tapes with the Breathe In Craft Out slogan on it to the first 10 people who email me at podcast at vickihowell.com. That's podcast at vickihowell.com. Please include your mailing address as well. And, you know, even if you're not into you know, anything stitch related or whatever, you probably at some point need to measure stuff, you know, measuring stuff. Everybody does it. Tune into the next episode of Craftish with my guest, jewelry designer and host of the PBS show Hands-On, Candy Cooper. That'll go live on Tuesday. Until next time, don't forget to take time to be creative. Bye.